Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome back to the Crystal Night Show brought to you by Newsweek. This week's guest is Dominic Whitehead. He is the Vice President of Campaigns for the NAACP. And I'm really excited about today's conversation because we just came off of an historic midterm election cycle. And the NAACP does a number of things. But one of the things that the NAACP did this midterm election cycle, they went out and talked to Black voters to help increase the Black electorate turnout But looking at some of the exit polls, looking at some of the numbers, that didn't necessarily go in the best direction. I think that not only the NAACP hoped, but nationally. And so we're really going to break down this conversation today with Dominic. So, Dominic, welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much, Crystal. I've been following this show. So excited to be on and talk all things Black voters with you today. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here as well and sharing your expertise. So let's just get right into the conversation. Um, You know, the election happened in early November and then there was a critical runoff that happened in early December. And because of the critical runoff in early December, we saw Raphael Warnock get reelected to a full term of the U.S. Senate. Tell us, like, tell our listeners, what does that mean for a black senator to come out of the South with a full term now? It means that's a great question. It it really does mean a lot. And that the possibility of black candidates um, running at the top of the ticket um, in a state like Georgia is real. Uh, It also means when we think about democracy um, and we think about what's at stake, when we think about what this Senate or this past Senate over the last two years or Congress was able to do and not able to do, being able to have someone who understands the importance of voting rights coming out of the state like Georgia um, in the Senate um, is going to matter. Being able to have someone in the Senate to think about how our democracy was under attack on January 6th coming out of a state like Georgia and the D.C in the deep south is going to matter so when we think about black enthusiasm uh, around voters i mean their engagement seeing people at the top of the ticket um that looks like them that will also um you know vote on legislation and or create legislation um, that will benefit the lives of black folks from a policy standpoint is, is really really important and key so it's a big deal that you know senator warnock now gets his full six years in the senate um and he really can expand on a lot of the work that he began to do two years ago right and i i like what you said about you know expanding on the work getting the full term because you know if we think about how many times Senator Warnock has had to run since he first got into this, you know, into elected office. 
I think it's been what four or five times that he's had to actually run. But like more times than I can count. But yeah, you think about the primary and twenty was that twenty twenty when he did his primary. Then he get to the general. Then there was a runoff on that, uh, and then ran mm-hmm. again. So that's about four times overall. So. Um, he continued to run. Um, and now it's time to see him legislate um, for not only for the great state of Georgia, um, but for all Americans across the country. Right. And that's so important, particularly, you know, it's symbolic, um, not only for the state of Georgia, but also for black voters. And so speaking of black voters, black voter turnout, um, it took a dip. Not necessarily a big dip. I think we have to really analyze it state by state. But if we're looking at this, you know, at the country on the whole, um, black people did not turn out as much as they did in 2020. We can go back, you know, even, you know, four years from there. Um, definitely the Obama years were likely some of the highest um, levels of black turnout that we saw. But can you help us um, understand maybe some of the difference um, in the voting patterns that have happened with black voters over the last couple of election cycles, even this year. What do you think about, you know, black voters, you know, coming out in droves and really still not seeing the black candidates that are at some of these high level races? I'm thinking about Sherry Beasley. I'm thinking about Mandela Barnes. These are candidates who were qualified candidates, but they barely lost. And it's easy with the narrative to say, well, black voters didn't turn out for them. But is that the case? Like, is it black voters fault that they were not elected or is it something else that we're missing? I think that's the narrative folks want to hear. Right. Um, And, you know, so I think we all saw those reports that started to come out last week around um, black voter around black voter turnout uh, over the last um, a few of uh, this past election cycle. Um, and one of the things that we're looking at, and it's still early, right? You know, uh, voter files are starting to come back. We won't see a lot of that stuff from January. But yeah, we saw a dip in some states in terms of black voter turnout. But one of the things I do want to lift up, and clearly NAACP is nonpartisan, but what we do know from a data standpoint, um, black voters, both black men and black women, um, it's probably one of the most loyal voting blocks um, in the country in terms of a political party. And so when we think about black voters and their loyalty in terms of the the vote, particularly to the Democratic Party and or progressives overall, there's no other demographic um, that we can look to right now and say is as loyal. Um, and so when we talk about black voter uh, turnout and when numbers are are dipping low or the turnout numbers are not what it should have been, what folks expected it to be, we also got to look at, um, you know, other demographics as well. We also got to look at that, but black voters are still consistently voting um, right. at a place where we cannot count on that from any other demographic. I don't think any party can count on that for any other demographic demographic, whether they're Republicans and or Democrats. Um, now, but the, to your initial question, when we think about, you know, when we saw very well qualified candidates at the top of the ticket, Cheryl Beasley, Supreme Court candidate in the state of North Carolina, uh, right? A, a full judge there. Um, we think about Mandela Barnes, who's a lieutenant governor um, in the state of Wisconsin, even Val Demons um, right, Val state, uh, in the state of Florida. We look at Westmore, um, Westmore. Maryland. Um, we look at both Charles states. Booker in Kentucky. Yeah. But yeah, and the list can continue to go on and on. Arkansas, right? Um, there, the list can continue to go, you know, on and on around candidates. What we do know 
when there are black voters, uh, excuse me, black candidates at the top of the ticket, uh, you do see an increase of enthusiasm, particularly from black voters, because it is rare uh, that we see folks at the top of the ticket. And let's be real, you know, you know, love Lieutenant Governor Barnes, but he's no uh, Barack Obama. That was um, a different moment in time um, for black voters, but there still was an enthusiasm gap in the great state of Wisconsin uh, around him running for U.S. Senate. He lost by maybe less than 26,000 votes, I think, now that the final numbers are probably in, which is a tough loss. But then you look at the governor, um, Tony Evers, uh, who was lieutenant governor, by he won well over a couple hundred thousand votes. Um, and they both were at the top of the ticket, same party affiliation. So there has to be a conversation around what does that mean? I don't think that's on black voters. Um, I think black voters did what they needed to do. Um, they showed up, um, showed out um, and vote the way they think they needed to vote. Um, but there has to be a conversation around investment um, in black communities. There has to be a conversation also around when there are qualified candidates uh, of color, whether they're black or brown, but qualified candidates of color. What does that conversation look like for people who are not black and brown um, to make sure we're connecting those dots and saying why this candidate is not only qualified, but making sure candidates that are not of color are voting against their own interests and or not voting at all. This is a conversation that has to be had when you look at North Carolina, when you look at Wisconsin, um, in a sense, in terms of those races, how close they were, how close they are, um, and then to see the rest of the ticket in those states particularly go um, in a progressive way. Um, and then the top of the ticket that didn't go that way. That that doesn't, you know, that doesn't make sense. So as we start to break down the analysis around the data, we also have to break down the analysis around implicit biases when it comes to black candidates at the top of the ticket for folks who don't look like us. Wow. And then you also said, you know, something that really perked my ears up about investment. One of the things I think, you know, you hear groups and candidates say is that, you know, money came in late or I didn't get any money at all. Or some of these larger groups that endorse did not give me the endorsement. And and I want to preface it by saying give people have to earn it, obviously. Right. Like you don't just wake up and say because I'm a black candidate or because I'm a I think I'm a good candidate that I am owed money or that I am owed an endorsement. But how do we message about particularly Sherry Beasley and Mandela's loss that a deeper investment in those two states really would have made the difference? And it's not just about them being black candidates. If we say we care about progressive politics in this country and those are two progressive candidates, we should have done what we could to push them over the edge. No, I think that's right. So you don't think about NEACP. We run our nonpartisan C4 program this election cycle, um, heavy investment in North Carolina um, for black voter engagement, heavy investment in Wisconsin um, for black voter engagement and so many other states, um, Georgia, et cetera. But when we think about investment, it's but so much, um, you know, NAACP or any other grassroots group can do to turn out um, their voters. If there is a lack of investment uh, in the party infrastructure, um, a lack of investment in the larger establishment, if you will, or progressive infrastructure in those states, particularly already in those races, uh, right. that's going to be a problem. When I say investment, I'm not saying investment necessarily to the candidates, but an investment to those communities. Uh, an investment comes in one of two ways. It comes in a way, of course, financial resources, but also the party infrastructure have 
to also want to invest in quality messaging and understand to be able to tell their story to black and brown voters about what it is that that party has done and why these candidates make the best and most sense um, for you to vote for them. Um, whereas an organization like NEACP, who is a trusted messenger, um, we can push and we will push the messaging that matters the most to Black folks. We will make sure we protect the vote um, by any means necessary, making sure everyone is able to vote, particularly those are who are in you know, vulnerable communities um, mm -hmm. as a whole. But investment has to happen early um very early um and also i think we can go as far as to say i think we all love funders right um when it comes to these programs but funders have to also you know make sure they are funding programs um that are doing year round work um and right. funding programs that is going to actually show a level of impact um, after the election cycle. And then what did that, what does that mean post November at the top of January where you're going into state legislative cycles or, you know, the new Congress going in, um, this January? So investment is key, um, is a financial piece, um, because we need the resources, um, to do the work. But there's also a research and messaging piece that I think, um, that progressives, um, really have to focus in on and or Dems, um, have mm -hmm. to really focus in on within the black community. And I say progressives and Dems um, because Black folks are the most loyal base to that party. We are voting at 90 plus percent Black men and women to progressive um, candidates and Democrat candidates. So if that is the case, the return on investment is to be able to tell your story about what it is you have and have not done and why. If you've done it, great. If you have not done it, tell the story why you could not have done it and don't allow someone else to tell your story. And then right. that is a different type of relationship with Black voters. Well, I think, you know, something that you've said this a couple of times already about the loyalty of the black voter, right? Black voters have been loyal to uh, the Democratic Party. They've been loyal to progressive causes. Well, what about, you know, so let's kind of shift a little bit. So we know that South Carolina is likely to become the first primary state in the 2024 um, you know, Democratic primary elections for president. Uh -huh. And that's really interesting because one, it reshuffles power, right? So we're just talking about power and how it could be potentially reshuffled. Some people say it, it's likely to give, you know, black voters and minority voters more power. But, you know, the angle that I'm really interested in is um, Senator Tim Scott. He is a African-American um, who is, you know, from South Carolina. He represents South Carolina. And there have been whispers, maybe loud whispers, that he <laughs> might <laughs> he might run for president. And so when we're talking about loyalty, right? We're talking and, and you have, you know, a lot of folks, and I may be taking a little bit of liberty in saying this, but a lot of times I hear black people say I identify as black before I identify as anything else. So, mm -hmm. yes, I may be a progressive. Yes, I may be a Democrat. Yes, I may identify with these particular parties, but I identify with black. So if we see another black candidate rise to run for president again, it still will be a historic thing. If it happens, if he becomes the Republican nominee, he will still, you know, break precedent. As far as what has happened in this country, particularly with the Republican Party. And my question to you, Dominic, is what will this mean for the black voter? 
who's been so loyal to the Democratic Party, so loyal to the progressive causes and, and, and people, um, there's still a large swath of African-Americans, black voters in this country who identify with conservatism, who have conservative, you know, ideology and ways of life. And so I really think that this can throw things up into the mix. So give us give us your thoughts about that. No, I think I think that's a good question. I mean, let's go let's even take it a step back to uh, two weeks ago to uh, I don't even like to say his name as much, but Herschel Walker, right? Mm-hmm. And so you think right. about a Herschel Walker uh, and a Raphael were not running against each other. Herschel Walker was clearly unqualified to run for the United States Senate, um, you know, for a whole list of reasons that we don't have to discuss here today. But then when you think about someone like a Tim Scott there in um, South Carolina, who's won already a U.S. senator. Um, he has won statewide. Um, you know, what does that mean? Um are Republicans thinking through the importance of running candidates of color, qualified candidates of color at the top of the ticket? Um, if there was a Tim Scott in a Republican primary, what does that look like? Um, right. Um, do, you know, in open states, do black folks, you know, change their party affiliation to to vote in the Republican primary? I mean, close primary states to vote, um, you know, in their primary. Right. Um, but I think the bigger question is, you know, what if. Um, in 2024, um, Tim Scott was on a ticket, uh, whether he was at the, the running, whether he was the, pre- the nominee for the Republican Party and right. or picked up and selected as a vice president, which is a big if. Um, and but folks are, you know, there's rumblings about to your point. So what does that mean overall for the black community? What does that mean to the larger? I wouldn't even say at the party place. What does it mean to the larger political process? It sh- it changes a lot. Yeah, but I mean by that, I'm not gonna go as far as and say that oh, black people is gonna be split between this. I, I don't, I don't see a thing. I think there's a lot of work clearly that the Republican Party will have to do. I don't think just having a candidate like Tim Scott right away uh, would shift the dynamics of how black voters have been voting um, over the last, you know, three, four decades um, in, in some instances and identifying with progressive and Democrats uh, to Republicans right away, because there is um, some type of um, trust there with the Democrat progressive side than it is for Republicans. But there is a conversation that has to be had um, to the larger in the larger political space of what that could mean. Um, and we've already seen, you know, black vote. Our goal at NAACP, as you know, you know, is get voters to the poll uh, mm-hmm. and make sure they're voting on their best interests around issues, policies and able to vote. Never going to throw our hand in the fire with a candidate. Um, mm-hmm. However, there will be interest, um, you know, of a candidate like Tim Scott, who likely may can and will have who has, you know, a truly has a track record in some way of legislation. I don't yeah. say good legislation or bad legislation, but he has a track record of being able to legislate. He has a track right. record of that. Um, he will be able, he will not be Herschel Walker on the big stage. He will be a totally <laughs> different type of candidate. Um, and right. so we do have to look at that there are some folks uh, within the Black community, as yes, they should, who necessarily don't always vote Democrat um, and or vote for progressives. And so, and they may sometimes not vote at the top of the ticket. Sometimes they do. But if they see a candidate identify with, what does that look like? So it's a real conversation. You can host the best backyard barbecue. 
when you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The other thing I think we have to remember is that Tim Scott and Senator Cory Booker mm-hmm. were negotiating around policing reform, right? So George that's the Floyd Bill. Yeah. Right, right, the George Floyd Bill. And that was such a big stickler. I think, you know, I heard plenty of my friends, plenty of, you know, I've, I've even seen polls that said policing is important to black voters. Like that's something that black voters wanted to see come out of this Biden administration in these first two years. And the reason I'm bringing it up, Dominic, is because if Senator Scott is able to, you know, work with Senator Booker or work with whomever needs to be on this particular bill and gets this pushed through and then decides to run on this in 2024, I smell trouble. I just feel like, and I'm not saying that black voters only care about policing, right? Like that would be crazy to say, but I do think that that has been such a big issue over the last couple of years that if key legislation like that is able to get out of the Senate and Senator Scott is able to tie himself to that. There is a way that he can message that to black voters that I think the Democratic Party um, has to see coming. Like we have to see that in the future, that that is a play that the Republicans could use on their hand. And, And to your point, even if he's the vice presidential nominee or the actual, you know, presidential nominee, it could mean trouble for again, this loyal part of the Democratic base. Yeah, I, I mean, I think um, I think you're, you're hitting on to something um, and it goes back to an initial statement that I made and it goes for all political entities. Uh, folks got to do the work and message on what they have done to the Black community and that investment piece. So it goes back to it's the big investment on investing and engaging in community, organizing, mobilizing, making sure black groups who are black look like folks in the community, organizing and talking to those folks. But there's another piece on how to message your wins, your victories, how to your tell your story uh, to black voters uh, and be truthful. I think that's the biggest piece that that we're seeing, to be honest, um, from Republicans and Democrats. Um, they don't have do the best job of telling their story to uh, minorities communities, particularly the black and brown community. And so it's going to be key uh, for any party if that was the outcome we're predicting what may or may not happen, but that was the outcome, that investment piece is going to matter so much more uh, than it has before when it comes to something like that. And it has to be an an intentional investment. Uh, It has to be an intentional investment and listening because we do all this research, we lift up policing and the economy and all these different things, right? But after the election, what does it all mean? What does it all mean in terms of legislation? What does it all mean in terms of continuing to keep folks account, uh, you know, continue to keep black voters engaged and involved in the process and making sure their voice is heard through policy? Yeah. Um, right. So after they vote, the next thing is how is their voice, their issues is hear it through policy. And that is an investment piece that I think, you know, this Congress is going to be tasked with 
Um, there's a slim lead on the House side, as we all know. There's a slim lead um, on the Senate side, uh, as we mm-hmm. all know. So, the, you know, at this point, there's no finger pointing because no one party controls Congress. It is really split in so many ways. One party has the House. One party has the Senate. Um, and so now do your job. And after you do your job and you do it well, figure out how the message and black voters, in my opinion, are the most smartest, are the smartest voters there are. And they'll make the right decision, what makes the most sense based upon what they've seen around legislation uh, and based upon how folks are investing in their communities um, in an intentional way. Got it. Got it. OK, well, I think that's helpful. I mean, could you also just kind of give our listeners a preview of what the NAACP has on tap for 2023 as we're heading into, you know, really, there's going to be a lot of talk next year about 2024. It's just we're always in a never ending, you know, political cycle. But share with us a little bit. Not I know you can't share your entire <laughs> yearly plans, <laughs> but give us a snippet of what we can expect you know, from the NAACP, because as you said, you all are a trusted brand. People know the name, people know the history. Um, So it it would be helpful if you could just share with us, you know, what are you guys going to be doing next year? Uh, A couple of things. That's a great question. Um, We have, I I would just go as far as say this, over the last five years, I started there, that's fine. We have really expanded um, NAACP, um, you know, folks still say NAACP, but my shout out to the comms team and the branding with NAACP. And we and have will really- you say the full name because we've just been using the acronym, but just in case someone mm-hmm. has been listening and they say, well, I don't know what the NAACP actually is. The NAACP is the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. We are, uh, the premier civil rights organization. We've been doing this for a minute and going to keep on doing this uh, work uh, in terms of all things policy and advocacy. Um, And again, National Association with Advancement of Colored People, NAACP. Um, And so for, you know, we think about, you know, going into the next year and 2024, the noise is already starting. You know, we, we, the one of the big things that we're doing is taking a big step back and looking at everything that we've done over the last Five years. We had a five-year arc of engagement in terms of civic engagement work. Um, so thinking back from the 2018 election cycle to beginning on census and redistricting to the presidential cycle to a redistricting cycle, and then now to this past 2022, um, the uh, this past midterm. Building it back out for the next five years because it's a continual point. It's a continued cycle. It never stops. But the other thing, a part of that is, is what does it look like to build strength and numbers and in the field? Um, so it's one thing to run big programs. It's another thing to make sure that we're bringing people along and running those programs, whether it's our membership growth, um, whether it's continuing to focus in on data analysis. So understanding where we made mistakes, where we can grow, where we did well. Um, messaging and research, we are only as good as our research and messaging. Um, so being able to continue to do year-round messaging and research um, assessments, um, looking at down ballot races, right? So engaging on local issues and local work at the community level. So this year we ran a program, Building Community Voice Fund, BCBF. So looking to expand that and prepare that for 2024. Some of the most important elections happen at their local election. There are a slew of mayor races that are happening this year. There are a slew of governor's races in, I hate to say, off year, but odd year 
right. elections, Kentucky, um, the entire Virginia State Legislature, I believe, General Assembly is up um, coming up this year. It's just the list goes on. Um, mm-hmm. So there is a lot of work that we're going to be doing. But for us, the main thing is really taking an assessment, looking on how we want to invest, uh, how do we build that five year arc? Um, because, yes, after 2024, there's 2026. Um, so <laughs> just keeps going. Uh, just 2025, keep going. somewhere between right. there. So there's a lot of work. So building a massive army of uh, just volunteers um, and folks on the ground who do this work, you know, day in and day out uh, and really trying to influence and impact policy in the biggest way that we can uh, for black folks in this country and our democracy. Got it. Got it. OK, um, that's that's helpful for our listeners just as they're thinking about what you guys have done and what you're doing moving into the future. And I have one last question for you that's not NAACP related, but it's definitely political because you are, you know, working in politics this week, yesterday or this week, rather, you know, we saw um, former president Donald Trump be referred to the department of justice for criminal referrals for criminal referrals. And so I'm just curious, what's your opinion about that? And how do you think it will influence the 2024 elections? My opinion started off good for him. Uh, NAACP uh, was a part of a lawsuit uh, with Congressman Benny Thompson, who is leading in on the January 6th uh, investigation. Um, he absolutely tried to obstruct justice and democracy uh, on January 6th. Um, and so good for him. I'll start there. Uh, NAACP also have come out and condemned um, Donald Trump several um, times on many of his actions um, as uh, running for office and also um, as the sitting president um, when he was president. Um, but when we think about the 2024 election cycle, I honestly think, you know, voters are smart. Um, I think um, the base that Donald Trump has will continue to be there. Um, but I do think it is not, you know, will continue to be there. I think, you know, when you th- think about white supremacy, when you think about all of that stuff, though, they were always there. He just, you know, reunited them. They, yeah. you know, they, they awakened it. Yeah, they woke up, I guess. Um, and, 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 and that. So, you know, I don't know if Donald Trump is as strong as he is, you know, as he was, you know, almost, you know, five, six years ago when he ran the first time around. Um, in that. So if he do so happen, which he like is running as of now, if he's not in jail, uh, um, if he do so run, you know, I don't think I think the Republican Party needs to figure out quick, fast and a hurry. What does that mean? And what does that look like um, for them? Because it's not good for the Republican Party. Um, it's not for them in terms of their base. They'll probably have a split. Um, they may not get the strongest candidate. They may get the strongest candidate coming out of that. Um, I do think, you know, uh, white supremacy with him running will still be as high as ever. Um, I do think we'll continue to see some of the things we've seen in some of these very deeply controlled, again, NACP is nonpartisan, um, red and Republican states will probably continue to see an aggressive amount of you know, uh, voter intimidation. Um, we'll see an aggressive amount of attacks on um, people of color um, around that. Um, we'll see attacks on LGBTQIA plus communities uh, and just other demographics as a whole. So, you know, I think Donald Trump, as though as I think he is dangerous, I don't think he will be as dangerous in 2024, just given what the people are seeing this in real time, right? Mm-hmm. 
who are seeing this in real time. But he is something and someone that we should continue to watch um, until this whole thing is put to bed uh, and making sure if nothing else matters, democracy matters. um, And continue to push that our democracy is more important than partisanship. Um, And so whatever that means for folks out there, uh, whatever side of the aisle you sit on, democracy uh, matters more than partisanship and being partisan. Dominic, Thank you for stopping by and sharing with our listeners what the NAACP, NAACP does <laughs> <laughs> and what we can expect of the organization moving into 2023. Um, thank you again for sharing about Black voters and what Black voters did in the midterm elections. And, you know, we kind of teased if if Tim Scott from South Carolina actually does run what that could mean so i just want to say thank you again for stopping by and we will be back in touch with you um, to have a a future conversation so thank you so much thank you for having me happy holidays happy holidays (laughs) i hope you enjoyed this episode of the crystal night show brought to you by newsweek the best way you can support us is to give your five-star review on Apple iTunes and be sure to check out our diverse lineup at newsweek.com forward slash podcast. I'm Crystal Knight. Thank you for listening. And be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to your favorite podcast to The Crystal Knight Show. Crystal Knight.